hello everybody i have a i have a story um i have a i have a little uh something interesting has happened to me i was in a car accident right before this so that was fun Oof, um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um nothing serious uh basically what happened was uh, i was on my way home uh from work and uh like i there's a turn that i have to take to get to my place and um there was like a bit of a a bit of traffic uh, and a taxi basically sped along this turn and didn't uh pay attention to where they were going and rammed right into the the back of my car um <laughs> and at first i was like what the fuck happened because you know the car fucking shook and all that stuff and i immediately get out of the car to make sure if it, the, the guy is okay uh and the guy sees me and he immediately <laughs> just fucks <laughs> He just what's it takes off? What the fuck do you Americans say? Yeah, yeah. He just immediately slams the gas and gets out of there. I didn't get I didn't see his plate, uh, sadly. But yeah, so um the back part of my car is basically falling apart and I had to drive that shit uh back home. Um I don't look oh by the way, I called the I called the, the insurance <laughs> right after. I was like, uh, so guys, um so this happened and they're like, ah tough luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, basically, it's basically what they told me. So yeah. Oh fuck. But yeah, it's it's okay. Alhamdulillah, I'm I'm good and um uh, yeah, uh it's good. It, it, the, the I was gonna make a joke about the, it's lucky that the taxi driver um that I wasn't armed, <laughs> but no, that's, yeah. that's a joke. I wasn't gonna shoot the guy. <laughs> but so please go to Patreon.com and support uh, <laughs> the Deprogram podcast. We need more extra five dollars so Hakim can buy a new shitty old car from like twenty six <laughs> or something. Yeah, I agree with Alan, but to a point. Hakim needs to drive a white BMW. He has some Persian jeans in him getting... that have to come out. I'm you not... have to wear the perfume Sauvage, uh, and you have to drive a white, BM, yeah. a white BMW or white Mercedes, but the Mercedes has to be a bit older. But the BMW mm. can be new, and your shirt obviously has to be unbuttoned all the way down to your belly button to expose all those beautiful semi-curled-up uh, chest hairs so uh yes check out patreon but not only to fix this car if patreon gets uh, enough money we'll be able to uh have two people who are absolute stereotypes on this podcast i i need to share it with someone okay I, jt I, is just a normal person and i, I promise as well. i I'm, I'm tired of being a walking uh, a walking clown okay i promise i'll get a 97 mercedes where the um the uh front uh what the fuck is it called? The thing where you open up the uh, hood to, to look at the engine? That bit of... Oh, yeah, the, the hood. hood. <laughs> I'm going to have the hood be a completely different color than the rest of the fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> this is my song, promise to you. Oh, fuck. But no, no I'm, I'm going to try to get the shit fixed. But yeah, that, that was uh, that was it. Um, that was number one. And number two, which is uh, much less interesting, but still. Um, I, I was gifted like a portable uh, blender um, by a friend. And at first I was like, the fuck am I going to do with this? Pause. And... Ever what since, makes, yeah. What makes a blender portable? They're all pretty small. No, but this one is uh, what's it called battery powered, uh, so you can like, put oh, okay, it in your okay. bag and <laughs> okay, take it with it. you. You don't need to plug it in anywhere. It Continue. charges. Yeah, I know. Again, it's just, <laughs> yeah, very very uh, strange uh, gift choice. But I was like, fuck it. Yeah, why not? Um, and I've been having like five smoothies a day <laughs> every fucking nice. day. I, whatever fruit I see, I just chuck it in. Um, but yeah, so that's that's uh, that's interesting. I was just gonna we say. We continue um, the tradition yeah. of making me feel unhealthy every episode. I don't know about you, Alan, but these two are like just uh, prime fit uh, uh, alpha chads. Well, jeez, 
Much out of a different the, elk, though. The 3,000 calories. Oh, yeah. Let me the, tell the 3, you, my body is a calories I've been fucking intaking. Oh, wait, sorry, <laughs> go on, Alan. Oh, I was just saying that my body is very much a temple. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's free from U.S. propaganda and other forms of uh, <laughs> <Poison>. <laughs> uh, environmental pollutants. <laughs> Welcome to the 20th episode of the V program. Uh, next time someone tells you socialist projects are impossible, just point them at us. We're living proof they're not. Today, we're joined by Ellen McLeod, PhD, the senior staff writer and podcast producer for Mint Press News, someone with two books under his belt and a library of work which speaks for itself. We'll be linking Alan's work below and strongly encourage your low attention spamming asses to check it out. For me personally, he's a leading expert on cutting through modern content manufacturing, a true deprogrammer if I've ever seen one. Is there anything you'd like to share with our audience, Alan, before we jump into this equally important and uh, enraging conversation? No, yeah, I suppose the only thing I'd add is uh, I really, uh, really appreciate what you've done with uh, your platforms, uh, doing this great podcast. There's so many, like, there's so many uh, leftist podcasts out there, but so often you feel kind of like there's not so much humor in there and you're left feeling like, oh, well, that was shit. And you feel like worse about the world mm -hmm. after you listen to them. Mm -hmm. But with you guys, you're always like talking about really deep subjects or dark subjects, but making it funny and you feel good afterwards. So I think you've done a great job. And plus, uh, plus your intro music absolutely slaps. So I think you should probably, <laughs> you should probably uh, release that as like a Patreon thing. You probably get another five, 600 uh, subscribers that way, I reckon. <laughs> Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I, I, I'm glad that people are enjoying the show and then not thinking we're a bunch of idiots, which we are. So, so. I, I regularly tell these guys, I don't, I have, I have no idea how people listen to us. Sometimes I listen back, I'm like. <laughs> But no, thank you for your kind words. And, you know, it wouldn't be the, the program if we didn't start off uh, heavy. Uh, Alan, you're what I'd like to call an expert in understanding how, you know, socially acceptable propaganda works and how narratives are built. Uh, the recent Ukrainian tragedy has taught us many things, or should I say, reminded us of them, one of which is uh, very relevant to today's topic. Why is it that we seemingly all care a lot more about certain wars than others? Many simply dismiss this as uh, people naturally caring more about those afflicted by war in cultures closer to theirs, veiled usually in a splash of racism, etc., etc. But some of your articles note something far more interesting in my personal opinion, you know, the direct link between whatever is talked about the most by large media conglomerates and what people actually care about. Uh, please, if you'd like, tell us more about that. Yeah, sure. So I did a study a little while ago about the coverage of the Russian invasion in Ukraine. But in fact, there's a whole lot of other nation-on-nation -nation conflicts going on right now. We're living in a very dangerous time. For instance, the Saudis have upped their onslaught on Yemen. In January 2022, 
that was the worst uh, month for civilian deaths since the conflict began in 2014. There's been dozens, if not hundreds, of bombings all around the country of Yemen since then. Also, uh, I think on the same day as Russia started its Ukraine invasion, the US uh, re-upped its bombing campaign against Somalia, which had been dormant for a few months now. And not only that, Israel also started shelling Damascus and other uh, towns in Syria. So I just contrasted uh, a week's coverage in Fox News, the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, and MSNBC. And what I found was that there were 1,298 separate articles about Russia's invasion in Ukraine. But there was, um, there was only one on the US uh, bombing of Somalia. There was only two on the Israeli attack on Syria. And there was none at all about the Saudi attack on Yemen. So I think it really shows the priorities there that the Russian invasion of Ukraine was given just incredible, more than 400 times the coverage of all the other three put together. Now, of course, that obviously uh, we should be covering Ukraine. I think everybody is shocked and uh, deeply concerned about uh, the images coming out of there, about how many civilians are dying, about how this could set off World War Three. But that doesn't mean the other attacks uh, or wars are, you know, pointless or not worth covering. A lot of people have been saying that, well, this is just about you know, Ukrainians being white. And to be fair, there has been a lot of absolutely, completely outlandish, yeah. uh, out there coverage of the mm. Ukraine war. We've seen so many correspondents going on there saying stuff like, you know, wow, it's such a shock to see white people fleeing from bombs. Mm. Usually this is just a thing you see in the Middle East and laughing about it. <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, there's reams, they of, use reams Instagram. of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they use Instagram. They they have TikTok accounts. They eat at McDonald's. This is this isn't this shouldn't be happening. It's only brown people that you know True should be born. True civilization. Yeah, but the reality is, Fun, is Funko Pops. McDonald's. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say the re the reality is is that um, actually there have been conflicts where white people have gotten bombed and it hasn't really gotten much coverage. For instance, you know the NATO bombing of Serbia or Yugoslavia as it was then, which uh, was an equally white country to Ukraine, didn't get anything like the coverage. And nor did actually the civil war in Ukraine, which has been raging for years in the eastern part in the Donbass region, which, according to the Ukrainian government, has killed 14,000 civilians, or 14,000 people, most of whom were civilians. And that's just not getting talked about. And so, really, uh, if you take a a theoretical look at this. I think it's always good to have some theory around you because otherwise you're just getting hit with stories or uh, news or concepts and you've got no sort of like framework of understanding what's going on. And uh, I, you know, in a previous life, I would say um, I really trained to be an academic looking at uh, sociology and journalism studies. And one of the most important uh, theoretical concepts in uh, the social sciences is the propaganda model, which was laid out by Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky in 1988. You might have seen the documentary Manufacturing Consent about that. And um, in that, they compared uh, the coverage of uh, different atrocities going on around the world. And they came to the conclusion that uh, media coverage of these atrocities is dependent almost entirely on two factors. Number one, who is the perpetrator? And number two, who is the victim? So if the perpetrator is an official enemy, like, for instance, Russia, 
that means that it's going to naturally generate a lot more coverage and a lot more outrage as well, because there is a political capital to be made by portraying your enemies as uh, barbarous and, you know, uh, bloodthirsty. And of course, the victim in the Ukraine case is the Ukrainian government, who have long been trying to uh, join the EU, you know, putting feelers out to join NATO as well. So it's basically the US's ally. And so that means that, you know, it's hitting both uh, trifectors there, which just means that we've got enormous amount of coverage of uh, that one, whereas the other three have been perpetrated by either the United States itself in Somalia or the US's allies in Saudi Arabia and Israel. And the enemies there have been the Houthi rebels, uh, who the US has put on the terrorist list. And of course, the uh, enemy in Syria is uh, the Assad government. And um, in Somalia, it is, uh, you know, a, an organization which has been um, designated terrorist as well. So those ones simply haven't got any sort of coverage, even though people are dying in, uh, all around the world right now. The media focus is on Ukraine and Ukraine alone. Perfectly put. I, I, what I found very funny, especially in the semi-racist uh, covering of uh, reporters calling this a relatively civilized, relatively European, end quote, part of the world and why we should be additionally concerned about it. And here I'm talking just about personal uh, opinions of journalists, which at the end of the day are kind of a, a prism through which we can see the main into the mainstream mind of, uh, you know, maybe media conglomerates. But what I found very funny as an Eastern European myself is that it literally literally took a whole massive conflict for them to finally start calling us uh, <laughs> Europeans and start calling us civilized. <laughs> Excuse uh, it, you. It's this relatively. constant Orientalism. Uh, it's, uh, relatively, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're relatively uh, I, civilized. I, you know, you're a little you're bit still, civilized. You're still half you know? Mongol. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, you're not like French Mongol or, you know, you're not like French or English or German or anything you got now, but you might be relatively civilized, you know? <laughs> exactly. JT, and please, I, I, please uh, censor French when, when anybody mentions it. <laughs> 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 French is a waste of time. <laughs> it's written in French. So, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, you go, you go. No, no, you're fine. And it's like a new a new line is being drawn from where until where civilization goes. And as you said, even that aspect seems to be directly linked to uh, the positioning of a part of the world closer or further from uh, the you know imperial hegemony, which at this time. Uh, and in this place is the U.S. I mean, even if we look at Japan, this is literally the most eastern country on the planet, but what is it considered a part of? The Western world, same as South Korea. Very openly in most pieces that you read about is considered part of, uh, you know, this uh, capitalist, civilized uh, part of the globe. Again, those because those two states are uh, allies, and if you're a bit more critical, basically puppet states of of the United States government. So it's uh, these constant fluctuations of what is considered more important or less are so deeply intertwined with, uh, you know, as you said, with uh, what is considered one of us, one of us, one of us. What movie was that from? And which is and which is not. So yeah, you guys' opinions. Mm -hmm. 
I find it always very interesting that whenever the you know the West Western hegemon decides to kind of like uh, put its arm around uh, another uh, group of people or a particular nation, um, they never really do it wholeheartedly. Like it's already very clear that Ukraine is used as a uh, just like a, a tool uh, or, or a bargaining chip with Russia so far. Um, because like if you look at NATO's already rejected them. Germany, I think, in the was it yeah, Germany and some other NATO con- uh, uh, country has basically made it a, a a point of protest of saying yeah we're never going to allow these people in NATO. Um, even in the EU, uh, various EU nations have said yeah we don't want them in the EU with us, um, and they're already kind of abandoning them uh, in all the material important ways. They're gonna you know uh, what 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 is that thing that fucking Whenever there's a tragedy in a white country, they they uh, uh, project the the flag onto some monument oh, yeah. or some shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. Everybody <laughs> changes their Facebook for, for like profiles. Half, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. For like half a day, and then you know, like they do shit like this, right? But anything material that would help the country, they they uh, refrain from, and it's already shown like this. And Ukraine isn't the first country that they treat this way. Almost all the countries of, of uh, the Balkans have been treated like this from one point to another. Even some uh, Middle Eastern countries uh, or like uh, Western uh, Asian countries. Lebanon is a primary example, for example. Um, when they want to, um, particularly in the baguette example, uh, again, censored baguette. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, the, with the French example, like they would consider, oh, the Lebanese are white Christians, you know, Ooh, uh, unless they're, you know, evil brown Shiites or some shit. Um, like depending on, on what particular coverage they want. Uh, so yeah, and I think this has happened also in several Latin American countries uh, from time to time. So yeah, it's uh, it's 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 that's that's just something that I want to to, to point out. Sorry, JT, I cut you off at the very beginning. No, it dovetails very nicely into what I was going to say. It's just the U.S. is you know, despite what they claim and despite how they try to come off, the U.S. is never really a friend of any nation in peril wherever mm. in the world that is. It, it's like remember, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Coney twenty twelve. That was a big thing in the United <laughs> States. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, no, but I, if I were to ask other Americans, I'd be like, "What country was that about?" Uh, I don't know. And, and like, what, what was? The, what's the deal? We have this this massive outcry for two weeks or however long the crisis mm. lasts, and then it's immediately pushed aside. No aid is given after a certain point. Stuff like that. It's it's mm. it's all for spectacle most of the time. It's all to benefit the interests of the United States and not really to render any kind of aid to the country that that needs it or the people especially who are are seeking aid. You know what's very interesting is um, I remember Parenti had this saying where he's like uh, uh, aid or I think he said it in the way of charity but I think we can extend this to aid as well is when the poor people of a rich country give money to the rich people of a poor country. Um, because mm. it always goes to the ruling classes that are usually autocratic um, in these places that are being received, where there's high corruption and whatnot. So even out of the goodwill, for example, the American people, if they were, if they did want to support it, whether willingly or, or not, through their tax money um, being sent to these places, it usually will go, of course, into the pockets of, of um, the, the the ruling classes. Um, and of course, if any of it were to go to some semi decent uh, uh, purpose, um, they'll quickly, you know, uh, shut that uh, faucet uh, off because it'll start eating into the uh, uh, military budget. Uh, donations to to Israel and then Saudi Arabia and you know so yeah yeah most definitely I mean there's so much uh, aid that's being pledged right now from ordinary people but also from governments but uh, you know I really hate to think where that's going to end up because there's already pictures mm. of like guys with like swastikas on their arms like mm. with the thumbs up and smiling and receiving like mm. you know please, please, there's only 600 from of them. Great there's only 600 of them guys please <laughs> sorry <laughs> please ha- 
literally every single picture that has emerged has had at least one guy <laughs> with a massive swastika tattoo. Please, there's only six hundred of them, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Uh, them, them wave, waving their flags in the Verkhovna Rada. No, 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 guys, six hundred. Okay, please. Are you some? Are you some sort of tanky? <laughs> <laughs> guys, they're not. Listen, they're just really interested in World War Two. They're like battle reenactors. They really, you know, they're interested. Yeah. They they collect their history aficionados. Mm. I mean, okay, they are nice. mostly interested in Hindus. one side in particular, not so much all of them, but you know, just just to leave off. And yeah, they like to wear this stuff when they go out, you know, and in the military. But um, it's fine. Don't look into what those symbols mean. Yeah. Oh my God. Not everyone just, wearing a swastika is a Nazi. Come on. <laughs> By the way, oh, but if you if you espouse the l- most lukewarm like social democrat point, they fucking oh you fucking yeah you call me yeah. <laughs> pinko call me. Now, but I was gonna say, um, by the way, pinko. I I never understood because pinko is supposed to be like oh you're pink, so you're adjacent to red, so it's like you're close to that ideology. But then they call you a pinko commie, which kind of negates the pinko part. But whatever, I always found that. Yeah, funny. either a pinko uh, or a commie. You can't be both, you know. <laughs> yeah, but what what I was gonna say, uh, in case anybody fucking misunderstands it, again, I'm gonna insult the, the intelligence of our, of our audience. For, no, none of us here support what Russia did in Ukraine. We're just pointing out the 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 stupid the absurdity of the situation that there are some liberals who will literally see picture after picture after pitch, picture of people, uh, you know, like with Nazi the uh, fucking insignias and tattoos, raising portraits of of uh, like fascist leaders of World War Two, and then they're gonna be like, oh yeah, but no, that's just like a small contingent, which happens to be like. <laughs> heavily overrepresented you know yeah i mean my position is you know russia bad invasion bad putin bad biden bad ukraine bad nato bad no fly zone bad war bad media bad everything is bad about the situation and i really cannot stomach so many of these like blue check guys on twitter who are like calling for world war three and are like yeah we'll call putin's bluff he's not going to fire the nuclear missiles come on let's get our boys in there we we whipped their asses in the crimean war in 1846 and we can do it again and i'm like oh jesus the reality of that the reality of that is like most british troops in crimea died of cholera and dysentery like before they even fought the russians so i I don't want to see that happening again frankly Uh. (laughs) not only this but also it's working class people dying uh, like killing other working class people for the interests of oligarchs on both sides by the way the the ruling classes uh, and the wealthy uh, the, the wealthy that's not a fucking word is it um those with wealth <laughs> you know what I'm well, trying to say. Right, yeah. uh, of, of, oh is it wow okay yeah. i learned something new today thank you jt um yeah. uh, of the west are also oligarchs it's not just some fucking you know oh my god the discourse on that has been <laughs> fucking infuriating <laughs> of like oh you know it's a very rich person who wields political power that's that's what american fucking <laughs> politics is yeah. yeah, you know, I actually did a study for fairness and accuracy in reporting in 2019 about the word oligarch. And I found that in CNN, the New York Times and Fox, 98% of the time the word is used, it's used in reference to Russia or another ex-Eastern Bloc country. And only 1% of the time when it's used, it's used against uh, the United States. So it kind of shows it's what like it means. Like bu- oligarch it's, it's is like, like other this. Buzzwords. It's like other buzzwords like regime and shit like that. Exactly, yeah. A regime is just like a government that the US doesn't like, basically. We don't like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean even if you even if you Google oligarch, it come the, the definition comes up like a a what super wealthy person in parentheses, especially Russians. Like, wow, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Our guys are yeah, businessmen and philanthropists. Their guys are oligarchs. Yeah. Entrepreneurs. Look, there's an acceptable uh, there's an acceptable percentage of fascists in our political organizations, okay? Up to five percent. 
You know, it's like it's like having uh, exactly. You mentioned cholera earlier. It's like the percentage of cholera in the water in the water supply. Five <laughs> percent. I'm, I'm joking. This is not not at all uh, correct. But yeah, this is just, the idea that there being any percentage of, of fascists within any sort of political institution or uh, executive or administrative institution, uh, let alone the military police, um, is somehow okay. Uh, as if there's like a you know a, a cutoff value. Um, <laughs> what's it called uh, what do you guys what do Americans call it uh, affirmative action <laughs> <laughs> a quota for cholera <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a quota for fascists in, the, in uh, actually hilariously like as a joke there does seem to be a quota for fascists in uh, mm. uh, in uh, ruling governments that the US supports mm, I wonder yeah. why that is historically as well as today I wonder hmm. boy do I scratch my, my chin at that sorry you there's go, no you way to say something <laughs> Oh, no, no worries. I was just going to say that I kind of uh, finally know what hipsters feel like because uh, in my overview of everything that's happening, that has been happening in Eastern Europe and Central Europe and Southern Europe for the last, uh, I don't know, five years, uh, I kept bringing up exactly the point of uh, hypocrisy between seeing uh, every Eastern billionaire as an oligarch because, oh, it, you know, those those motherfuckers, they can't get money through an actual ethical neoliberal uh, uh, path. Uh, they have to have colluded with the political system, et cetera, et cetera. Well, our guys now, our guys not only made their billions based on some uh, genius technological or philanthropic uh, uh, train of thought, but even after they made their money, they're not reinvesting it in uh, keeping their position in uh, in the local hierarchy by you know lobbying, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's only those uh, those Orientals over there that uh, participate in that kind of backwards shit. Well, it's uh, you know so so now hearing everybody, even in the absolutely mainstream, uh, you know. No currents discussing this uh, you know kind of kind of makes me feel as i said previously like a hipster like oh i did it back when it wasn't cool and now it's uh, now it's chill <laughs> and everybody's jumping in with their little opinions and shit uh, there's so many people getting confused over uh, oh this city sounds just like this other city but they are there are two different cities in in two different countries in eastern europe oh my fucking god how are these people naming their cities maybe they're similar nationalities oh my god people are writing that oh actually this is like a larger group of people slavs and like they live on all of these <laughs> territories and actually who's what nationality is kind of complicated because that was built through whatever it's uh it's it's always fun to watch uh watch you know kids play with uh with legos uh and a few days before that you built like a star trek from legos but whatever no please okay there's a, there's a there's a city name there's a city named kirov in russia okay there's a cult of personality there by the way please don't look at our capital city and, and the state named washington <laughs> <laughs> don't look at her money please <laughs> uh, just, <laughs> that's so stupid speaking of which so is it the chicken or the egg that uh, comes first <laughs> like are we conditioned into not caring about people who quote unquote don't look like us by the media or does our inherent bias lead to a media landscape that we have today basically did we reach a point where like consent is so manufactured that it doesn't even need manufacturing anymore well i guess you know this is the deprogram podcast and i think people have to really be programmed into viewing the world a, a certain way people are naturally empathetic and therefore you know if people if tragedies are out of sight, they're also out of mind, like what I was saying before. When 
tragedies or atrocities are covered in other countries when the US does it. There's no flowery language, there's no uh, there are no journalists being sent there to interview the victims uh, you know, at hospital. There's no images that are being uh, shown back in the West. We see the bombs drop out of the aircraft, but we never actually see what happens when they hit the land. And in fact, people like Chelsea Manning and Julian Assange, are, you know, they've been persecuted. And in Assange's case, he's still in jail for showing the outcome of what happens when US bombs hit these civilian targets. So... I guess my message would be that if media covered the war in Yemen, in Iraq, or in Afghanistan in anything like the way it has covered the one in Ukraine, it would probably be over in a week because people simply wouldn't accept that sort of violence being done in their name. But they don't cover it like that. And I think the Ukraine coverage shows that a decision has been made. They're clearly choosing to do this every day. Like, you, you, Ukrainians making Molotov cocktails are considered freedom fighters. But if we saw Palestinians doing that, they would be condemned as terrorists. And so ultimately, or I Iraqis think... Iraqis during the fucking resistance. Oh my God, don't even get me fucking started. Sorry, sorry. But yeah, most definitely. It just reminded me of the point where it's always like uh, when they would talk about us, they'd be like, oh yeah, you know, the terrorists and the fucking... It's like, you came and invaded our fucking country. How? <laughs> Fuck you. Sorry, sorry, going on. Yeah, I remember they even, um, they even condemned Afghans for what they called internal aggression against US troops, which meant fighting back, basically. But ultimately, the last thing I'll say is then uh, turning on the outrage tap, having control of that and turning it on and off is a key way in which media really manufactures consent for US foreign policy hiding certain uh, atrocities uh, like coups or wars from our gaze and then putting other ones uh, front and center. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, just to be clear, I do oppose the Russians' invasion of Ukraine, but uh, I also uh, opposed, you know, the US bombing of Somalia or the Saudi-led onslaught on Yemen or any of the US's wars which the UK trots along uh, beside the US like a dog. Um, that's you know, I oppose war pretty much wherever it happens, but we're only ever shown a few of them. And that's because people are naturally empathetic and they simply wouldn't accept it if they uh, knew what was going on. Yeah. You sound like some sort of communist. And <laughs> people are naturally em empathetic. Please, okay. Capitalism is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know how <laughs> we keep stupid. ending up with these communists on our podcast. This is getting a little ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. <laughs> but it's the. You're talking about manufacturing consent. And the one thing that's really stood out to me is there was a poll conducted on like the first or second day or the lead up to the um, Russian aggression in Ukraine. And the poll was. Uh, do you support U.S. involvement in the region? And it was like eh, 20%, something like that. And then not two or three days later, it was near unanimous support, just after wall-to-wall mm. coverage for days mm. and just showing like, okay, the they're trying to cast it as there's a clear good guy, there's a clear bad guy. Now how do you feel? Okay, yes, we're on board with this this military intervention or whatever. It's incredibly the effective. mark of a crit critically thinking population, mm. <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah, it's especially yeah. remarkable because uh, I think we talked about this in one of our bonus episodes specifically. So maybe not all of you guys heard it, but uh, the the main difference between a uh, typical Western individual sitting in front of his uh, you know eight p.m. or nine p.m. or seven p.m. I don't know when they do it uh, news and listening to it and uh, and a dude in uh, Iraq or Serbia or Bosnia because uh, I think we can talk about those regions because uh, we are from there, uh, is that the, the Western individual uh, actually believes 
85, 90, sometimes very often 100% of everything that's being uh, kind of uh, drilled into his head. Well, we, we know that most of the things being served to us are propaganda. And mm. in a weird way, having a constant barrage and bombardment by so-called state media, etc., etc., gives you a bit more leniency in uh, what you're actually going to end up believing and not believing. Uh, just to give you a random example, uh, there is a specific reason why in a matter, as JT said, of two, three days, I mean, come on, two, three days, the opinion of the average American on this specific issue was completely altered. It's almost like a magic wand of sorts. And that is only possible if you genuinely trust 100% of everything that's being shown to you and the, 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 if you follow the direction which is, uh, which is being kind of laid down in front of you for you to follow. And then those same people have the audacity to sit there and call out people from the developing world, etc., etc., and uh, kind of, uh, you know, the typical liberal talking down of being like, oh, but, you know, it's, it's not uh, their fault. They're just, you know, these brainwashed little uh, semi-barbarians which uh, don't really understand what's being done to them, etc., etc. Trust me, my friend, most of the time we do much better than you, it's just that uh, we do not have the necessary uh, financial or physical power to, to change things around us. Well, you guys, uh, that's our excuse. For, for a lot of you guys, your excuse is just act, not caring enough to actually do something about it. It is actually very interesting how um, in the West they're incredibly committed to whatever ideological line is laid down by, um, well, by the State Department. Um, and it is it is that, like, uh, again, to paraphrase uh, Nyerere when he said uh, about the American government, he said, oh, in typical American extravagance, uh, there's not one, uh, the U.S. is not one party state, but in typical American extravagance, they have two parties, right? Same with their media, right? Uh, th there is a single source of state media that's parroted everywhere, but in typical American extravagance, um, it's not just one outlet, but several outlets with, oh, you know, a slightly different face and a slightly different, quote unquote, ideological outlook, which just differs from far right to kind of moderately right um but yeah all of them still uh provide the trash can for which most of uh, the united states uh, very gladly uh, eats from that, that trash can being the trash can of ideology uh, but i was going to say something about um what interests me also about uh Amer american military engagement or military opinion is that how often has it happened that the United States has went to militarily intervene somewhere and the American people have not benefited, not, not just that, they've directly lost because of this. They, they, they've lost either political influence globally uh, or they've uh, lost physical bodies, their fathers and sons and brothers and whatnot, um, or uh, the financial losses uh, which they see in their day-to-day -day life. Um, and they still, nonetheless, uh, kind of adhere to that hyper-militaristic line. Uh, I mean, on one side, some people can be like, oh, you know, this is the death of a hyper-militaristic nation, um, and this is why, you know, they, 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 the last, uh, uh, what's it called, um, thrust of a dying empire is, you know, like to limply uh, advocate military aggression in hopes of regaining some uh, lost um, glory. But uh, I was wondering, maybe, Alan, you could, you could kind of uh, build up on that. Why do you think that is? Why do you think Americans, or at least Western people in general, uh, are always so pro- uh, war. Ah, Americans more so. 
Well, I mean, I think at this point it's probably good if you had like a Zizek drop where you could just have him saying it's pure ideology and just press that four or five <laughs> times. I mean, ultimately yes. that's what it is. I mean, the Western propaganda system is uh, really, really slick. You know, sometimes it Fs up a lot, but um, ultimately I think it's because we in the West don't ever really see the consequences of war. You know, I've traveled a bit, you know, I, I saw the consequences of war in uh, Yugoslavia or in uh, Syria, and you can see the sort of devastation it wreaks. But ultimately, the worst of what you see if you live in, like, I don't know, Colorado, let's say, is, um, you know... Wisconsin? You, yeah, damn Wisconsin. Um, yeah, if you live there, like, the worst you see is, like, your taxes going up a bit, or maybe you read about, you know, some guy two times over who died there, and that's about it. Ultimately, the reality of war is just uh, completely shielded from us. We're living in this sort of, like, tempestuous ocean, but people in Great Britain or France or uh, the United States are basically in these calm little bays that are shielded from this. And, yeah, ultimately, sometimes, you know, the worst you'll see is, uh, you know, maybe you'll start seeing immigrants turn up in your country and then you can get really racist about it. And that's basically what's going on right now. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> sorry, I just want to say one more thing as well. Uh, I always laugh at this because every time I see anything about either uh, military aggression from the West or media presentation or how they consider themselves, and I just think about if the USSR had anything like this, if they consider themselves in this way or carried out this sort of action, the condemnations we would see of, 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 of well, it doesn't have to be just the Soviet Union, any other socialist country, the condem condemnations we would see would be to the fucking roof. Not only that, we'd be learning about them to this day. It would be another mm -hmm. one of those, you know, oh, fucking, uh, you know, the 100 quadrillion dead, fucking and Stalin ate babies, and then you, uh, you know, like, oh, the Soviets, they never knew what was going on. They they were brainwashed by their fucking mean. It was like, okay, have you looked at your own fucking backyard? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I, I think a big part of it is we're just completely isolated here in the States from ever seeing the fallout or the results of military intervention. We, we're very comfortable here. We Our media just shows, you know, uh, U.S. soldiers handing out candy or, or carrying a child from a whatever a war zone and like oh, giving them a water bottle, things like that. It's I think for a lot of Americans, it's very much the uh, the Starship Troopers thing. I'm doing my part. They <laughs> they see their goal or their job as to to lay down their life for this glorious nation that has reached the end of history, that is the pinnacle of human achievement, and has the moral right to intervene wherever they want. And it's it's easier for the American people to, to stomach that because they're never shown the dirty side of it. And even in pop culture, I mean, we're just doused in this pro-war uh, propaganda. I mean, mm. uh, if you look at the work yeah. of people like Tom Secker and Matthew Alford, they've shown that um, through FOIA requests, they found that uh, the Department of Defense has been involved in the production of at least 800 big-budget Hollywood movies and more than mm. 1,100 TV shows. And so this sort of like saturation of like military worship is so ingrained into American culture. You know, you go to a sports event and there's a huge flag that's like 120 yards long, which is draped across the entire football field. And then there's like the salute to service. And then, you know, there's like Apache helicopters flying above and it's like, woo, this is great. And you have to stand up and praise <laughs> the anthem. And all of this stuff, you know, it doesn't really occur in other countries. And so people aren't really aware of like just how off the spectrum it is uh sometimes you know i think yeah. traveling would uh, really benefit a lot of americans because they'd see how crazy their own society is not that british society is somehow better <laughs> don't worry about that <laughs> we're a land full of you know like weird royalists and nonces basically and uh yeah, yeah. 
so we don't have elections. <laughs> even if it does happen, even if it does happen, and even if when you do have parades and you have the massive flags and you have the president come out on New Year's Eve and talk on TV, like ev- like every family has this dad that fucking misses the TV by five inches when he throws his remote, shouting at yeah. oh, all these motherfuckers again with their fucking shit, etc., etc. And that the, 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 it's not the propaganda existing; it's the reaction to the propaganda, which is. Uh, which is uh, confusing, at least to me. But uh, I just wanted to, yesterday I saw this incredible thing just to note on what Alan said of the insane saturation of uh, kind of uh, getting the American ready to support a war because 80% of everything that they, okay, I hate, I don't know why I'm throwing percentages around this episode, but most of the shit, especially when it's uh, media that talks about war, be it film, be it uh, video games, et cetera, et cetera, tries to spell, sell you a spin in which, uh, you know, the enemy is always inherently foreign. And when there is a local internal enemy, they are uh, working together with the foreign entity. And that is why they need to be rooted out, etc., etc. But uh, long story short, I'm browsing YouTube the other day. And a video that had, uh, I checked, uh, in, you know, through some websites that can check the history. A video that had 20,000 views now has over 2.5 million views. And it's a scene from uh, from uh, Modern Warfare, I think it was 3, Call of Duty, where Makarov, the ultranationalist Russian, uh, kidnaps the Russian president and says, all of Europe will burn for Russia. And the comments, like it got super popular, people fucking remember that, wanted to watch it, and half the comments were unironic about this insanely jingoistic game. Half the comments were like, oh my God, Modern Warfare got it right all along. Fucking COD (laughs) predicting shit better than The Simpsons. Spammed in the entire thing. It's just they're just ready. The 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 the, the, the need for confirmation bias is so strong that it even mm. triggers like this old memory from when you were sixteen and you know you were you were <laughs> fighting the Russians in that Modern Warfare game. You're like fuck, man. Back then it kind of felt racist that I'm shooting all these Russians, which are inherently evil. But now now I don't have to feel bad about it because they are Asiatic insane hordes, which are coming to pillage and murder my fellow white brothers and it's just it just clicks you know sorry for the small rant except for, I think it, you it, get it, the no point. no so, so, except except for the ukrainians who have now become uh, relatively civilized and relatively european okay, not fully <laughs> <laughs> but, but i was gonna i was gonna mention two things uh, about the movie point it's actually very interesting um that the idea that there's any sort of free press in the u.s you should throw it out the window is complete bullshit but same with the uh, cinema uh, and popular media the american uh, government and their um let's say, departments of, of, of uh, you know, thought crime <laughs> uh, have their <laughs> hand directly in it. And the only thing you can you can reference is, um, uh, maybe JT could put this in, it's uh, George Lucas when he's talking about Soviet cinema and how, how he mentions that Soviet uh, filmmakers have a lot more freedom than mm-hmm. American filmmakers do, for example. Because in the world we live in, in the system we've created for ourselves in terms of, it's a, a big industry, you cannot lose money. You're forced to make a particular kind of movie. And I used to say this all the time, uh, you know, back when uh, Russia was the the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. 
And they'd say, oh, but aren't you so glad that you're in America? I said, well, I know a lot of Russian filmmakers. They have a lot more freedom than I have. Well, that's number one. And number two, when we mentioned about how Americans are very far from war, <laughs> I just wanted to say, yeah, it's true. <laughs> the, the only time uh, Americans get close to war is when the when the white kid gets quiet, quiet in, in math class. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> One episode without school shooting jokes. Can we have one? Just one, please. Son of a bitch. We're with, with a, a renowned journalist here. Fuck me. I'm, I'm so sorry, Alan. No, sorry. You know what? You know, Call also, of Duty, that actually was uh, produced with Department of Defense uh, collaboration as well. Yeah. And yes, what's, yes. I mean, I really think it is pretty crazy when I look back on my childhood and think, mm. I wonder how many hundreds of thousands of Arabs that I murdered in super realistic detail mm. and just thought nothing about it. That is pure ideology right there. Another, mm. didn't um, Call yeah, of Duty Modern Warfare reverse? They put in the infamous Highway of Death, which happened in Iraq, where the US yeah. basically just oh, yeah. slaughtered, you know, I don't know how many Iraqis, we don't count. But they just said, oh yeah, actually that was the Russians. So in Call of Duty, mm. the Russians carry out the Highway of Death, not the Americans. And yeah, yeah, so, I, I mean, it's, yeah, of course. It's, it's right there. It's a like, whole mission. I'm going to interrupt. There's a whole mission where you play like a three-year-old in an unspecified Arab country where Russians mm. are killing your family. Like, what the mm. fuck is going on? And it's yeah, not it's, the it's Soviet Union. It's fucking yeah. It's incredible. Sorry, Alan. Please continue. They're just, mm. it's, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only other thing the, I was going to say is in Call of Duty Ghosts, isn't it all set in Venezuela where you have to, like, overthrow a, an evil communist dictator who is clearly... Either Hugo Chavez or Nicolas Maduro. Yeah, it's it's such bad fucking... And, and again, how people... People will look at this and be like, it's just a video game. You're being so, like, you know, dramatic. But when the... I don't remember if it was the, the North Koreans or the Chinese that had some video game, like, local domestic video game made, and you sh- shoot oh, at American Chinese, soldiers. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the... Yeah, and f- bless the Chinese for that. Okay, Wait, no, if, that if was there's their, one thing that, was that... The movie. The Chinese <laughs> had the movie about shooting American soldiers. I think you're right about North yeah, Korea. It, but it was a mercenary. Well, like they didn't even go yeah. full way. It was a mercenary, a very badly yeah. written cliche guy who works yeah. for money and does not believe in the flag. Well, the well the Chinese dudes are like, yes, for the motherland. Uh, but it was a great movie. I fucking love that movie. But uh, <laughs> but yes, even even the Chinese were like, okay, let's not go too much ahead of it. You know. He's an American mercenary, you know? Let's not be that bigoted and generalize a whole nation. <laughs> but honestly, I don't remember if it was DPRK or China, one or, the, one or the other, but they had a video game where you shoot at American soldiers. And um, I, wh- whichever the faults of either of those two countries are, one of the positives that you can rack up for sure is that you get to shoot <laughs> American soldiers for once in a fucking video game. Jesus Christ. I mean, like in Iraq, we used to shoot at them in real life. But uh, <laughs> 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 anyways, but the, the, the thing that annoys me about this, or not annoys me, but uh, it's just something I find funny, uh, is that Americans got so fucking riled up about the fact, like, how dare they fucking have a video game where they shoot yeah. at our soldiers, our fucking men in uniform. It's like, you've been shooting at imaginary, quote-unquote, imaginary civilians from third-world countries in all these games for, for years, right? Let alone, like, military uh, uh, targets, just civilian casualties. And the second that, yeah, yeah, you know, it's... Yeah, it's it's like oh, it's okay when we do it, but not when you do it. Um, yeah, there is one game where you can uh, kill a lot of Americans, and mm-hmm. it's literally one of arguably the most debated games in the history of the United States. 
I just thought of it. It's GTA. Oh yeah. That's why they have so much say. against because you're shooting like white women. You know, it's like what the fuck? Yeah. That's not acceptable. <laughs> you know, you're walking isn't on that, a cul-de-sac. Isn't that just America simulator? Center center of LA. You're using a bazooka. That's yeah. fucking insane. I mean, <laughs> I was gonna mention, wasn't that weren't the LA, LA riots about something like that? They didn't go to that extent. I don't fucking know. Um, but when it's Black Hawk Down, yeah. I mean Black Hawk Down, then it's absolutely okay. <laughs> That's throwback yeah. to episode one, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> was it episode one that we did that? <laughs> For people listening at home, Jesus it was Christ. 50 minutes before the first cock joke from Hugh Gopnik. <laughs> That's a new record. <laughs> yeah. You see, you see okay. how respectful a... I'm being towards yeah. you, Alan? You see how respectful? <laughs> yeah. This is like He's next level. Titrating down. It's okay. <laughs> mm. oh. I'm not even drunk, Alan. I'm not even drunk. I'm literally drinking For water. Once. I'm not even kidding. And it's a wow. Friday. Oh, I'm my proud of God. You. It's okay. You'll drink after this. <laughs> You'll celebrate not drinking right now by drinking afterwards. <laughs> Eat my ass, you doctor, bitch. <laughs> I mean, me. <laughs> Gladly. No, man, this is a, this isn't an intervention you got, Nick. We care about you, man. You've got you to change your life. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. <laughs> I'm fine. I haven't drank since last Friday. Like, unironic. Wow. I haven't drank for like Perfect. six days, Perfect. seven. Not, not a sip. <laughs> not a sip. But that's good. That is. No, that, yeah, that, I'm, that I'm sitting here quietly good, like yeah. I'm the worst alcoholic here. Just letting you gopnik take the heat. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I have theories that even uh, even Hakim, Hakim is a like a... Uh, bad Muslim or what? Uh, no, what was the word when you do <laughs> when you're not halal? You're the other fucking haram, thing. What is absolutely it? haram. Uh, yeah, you're haram. haram. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the is I mean, secretly not, a hardcore not, haram uh, Muslim, yeah. fucking chugging uh, grandpa down the street vodka every morning. The, the the only haram that I have in my life is my undying love for you. That's the, that's the only. <laughs> if it's love, it's not haram, as they say. Moving on, uh, one of your most uh, recent articles takes a <coughs> deep dive into the arguably most famous political commentator of our time, Tucker Carlson. Tell us, how does one actually become him? And uh, no, I'm not talking about uh, his haircut. <laughs> the bow tie. <laughs> yeah, um, I got interested in Tucker a while back. Um, shout out to Robbie Martin from Media Roots Radio. Um, he kind of, we've been talking about this for a while. I interviewed him for an article I did about Sagar and Jetty. And he was talking about Tucker Carlson in there. And he showed me a clip uh, from, I think it was late 2005 or early 2006, where he's being interviewed by uh, some guy. It never aired. But Tucker just um, casually says that, you know, uh, when I was your age, you know, I went down uh, in the 1980s to Nicaragua to, and I quote, get involved in the war and support the side that was right, which was not the Sandinista side. And so that uh, really got yeah. me thinking. I was like, what the hell is going on there? So I started putting out the feelers of like, you know, was Tucker Carlson literally a Contra? If you guys don't know, I'm sure you three know, but maybe some people don't know. Uh, the US was sponsoring this uh, far right death squad that, you know, went rampaging throughout um, Central America, especially in Nicaragua. And their goal was to try and overthrow the leftist government of the Sandinistas. And so I tried to look around for a lot of information about Tucker. I did find a 2017 podcast with a conservative commentator where he was asked about it directly. 
Uh, the commentator said, I don't think many people know that you were actually a freedom fighter who traveled to Central America to fight with the Contras. Could you fill us in on that story? And Tucker immediately goes from affable to very nervous. And he's like, no. And he tries to change the subject. And he was like, oh, we wanted to just go and see the war in Nicaragua. And then he says, all kinds of hilarity ensued. And then he like just nervously changes the subject immediately. And that really got me thinking because... Um, I think a fair amount of people know that Tucker Carlson is the heir to an enormous fortune through his mother. Uh, his mother is the heiress to the Swanson uh, food empire. And his dad, though, is the one that I think is a bit more interesting. His dad, during the 1980s, was actually appointed by Ronald Reagan himself to be the head of the US Information Agency and the head of Voice uh -huh. of America. Uh, so this organization is like the umbrella organization, which the New York Times called a worldwide propaganda network established by the CIA. And what it does is it basically controls Radio Marti, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, uh, all of these uh, outlets. Voice of America is another one. And their point is to try and overthrow foreign governments. And Tucker's dad, I found a lot of clips uh, from C-SPAN about him talking about this. C-SPAN is great if you want to do some like uh, spying activities because people really let their guard down there because they assume nobody is watching and they're correct. Mm -hmm. But then it does get uh, you know saved for ages. And Tucker's dad talks about how the, uh, the fall of communism in Eastern Europe and in Russia was uh, inspired and created in no small part down to his organization. He talks about how all mm. the people there have been inspired by talk of the free market and freedom. And he says, where did they get that from? They didn't get it from their local press. They got it by listening to Radio Free Europe and by reading Voice of America. And so that's why we should uh, you know, keep funding this. So we've got a situation where Tucker Carlson, a young guy, just apparently goes down to Nicaragua for, in his own words, get involved in the war on the side of the Contras. What does that mean, especially when we know what his dad was doing at the time? Uh, I found a 1990 article in a news database from Tucker's old preppy college that he went to which said that he um, he went there in 1990 as well, uh, at the time of the elections, which Violetta Chamorro, who was the US-sponsored candidate, actually won. And Tucker even said that he was standing right beside Chamorro when she heard the news that she won. And again, that's a very suspicious thing to hear because this is a country that had been in the middle of a civil war for a decade. How did this random college student get that sort of access? I mean, imagine if somebody, if you heard from somebody, oh yeah, I was in Trump's war room on the night he won in 2016. You'd be like, what? How, how are you in that sort of insider? And the plot, of course, thickens when we know that Tucker, the year later, actually formally applied to become a CIA agent, but was apparently... Um, rejected. So that's why he went into journalism. And uh, yeah, this is a very uh, interesting case. Unfortunately, it happened in the time before social media. So things haven't been saved like they have, you know, nowadays, you can just start looking. So I was asking my Nicaraguan friends to put out feelers looking through uh, photograph archives and things trying to find his face there but yeah ultimately we do know that tucker went down there at least twice what sort of involvement he had what did he mean by like help the contras does that mean uh you know help them morally or does that mean picking up a rifle i don't know i tried to speak to fox news uh tucker was being very coy i ended up talking to someone very high up at fox news she was like the 
president of uh, media and communications or something. And she was being very tight-lipped about it, and it became pretty clear that she was actually fishing for information, trying to understand how much we knew. And so we never really got uh, very far with that. But yeah, ultimately, Tucker has have had a very close relationship with the national security state for a very long time. In the 1990s, of course, it came out that um, the US government, and in particular the CIA, had been sponsoring uh, the Contras, and they actually allowed uh, the Contras to flood uh, American cities with crack cocaine, particularly black neighborhoods. And that's how they were paying for this dirty war that was going on. That, and of course, selling weapons to Iran on the side, which was the Iran-Contra affair organized by people like Oliver North. Um, this was a huge scandal when Gary Webb broke it. He was a journalist at the San Jose Mercury News. And this thing threatened to completely blow up the CIA. It was probably the last time when there was a big public push to uh, completely abolish the agency in, in, in its entirety. And the CIA had a real propaganda PR nightmare on its hands. Thankfully, it could rely on a lot of journalists, especially Tucker Carlson, to slander Webb. Tucker, while he was working for the ultra-conservative neocon publication, The Weekly Standard, wrote an article called something like A Disgraceful Exposé and its fans. And it just lays into Webb talking about how, you know, the entire thing is complete nonsense and ludicrous. And Tucker's article was actually referenced in a declassified CIA document talking about how it helped them, quote, manage a nightmare. So Tucker's really had a, a very close relationship with the uh, U.S. government for a long, long time. And uh, just to finish the story about Gary Webb, a few years later, he was found with two bullets in the back of his head and it was ruled a suicide. suicide. So, yeah, yeah that's, that seems totally normal. Yeah. Um, Another thing a lot of people may not remember, they probably remember the clip if they're my sort of age and kind of came of age during the Iraq war was just the insane war propaganda that was around. Uh, the US government even enlisted Britney Spears, who at the time was like this global megastar. And it was just this crazy interview where the interviewer just throws her a softball question like, what do you think, uh, what is your message for um, your fans? And she reads this weird pre-scripted uh, message where it was like, I think we should just all get behind the president and trust whatever he has to say. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember seeing this. It's actually been uh, immortalized in a lot of films. I think Michael Moore has used the clip. It's just this crazy, blatant sort of uh, push to try and get people on board with the war in Iraq. And that interviewer was actually Tucker Carlson when he was working for CNN. A lot of entertainers have come out against the war in Iraq. Have you? Honestly, I think we should just trust our president in every decision that he makes, and we should just support that, you know, and um, be faithful in what happens. Do you trust this president? Yes, I do. And since then, he went on what? to work for MSNBC. I didn't know that. And it was only a few years ago that he started working for Fox, about a decade ago. And, you know, before that, he was this bow tie wearing out of the closet elitist who called himself a trust fund baby and talked about working class people being peasants. I mean, he actually mm -hmm. uses those sorts of words. 
And uh, it's only actually very recently he's turned into this sort of like everyman populist, which is ironic because there's actually a clip again on C-SPAN of Tucker talking about Bill O'Reilly and how fake his uh, faux populist thing is, talking about how a multimillionaire who quaffs champagne and lives in the Hamptons can't possibly pretend to be a populist forever because it's just so fake and phony. And yet he adopted this character immediately as he uh, replaced O'Reilly on his slot on Fox. So yeah, Tucker's had many, many uh, uh, disguises or hats or dresses or personas or whatever you want to call it. But uh, one thing that stands out is actually how close he is. Yeah, he's always really close to the US government. So that's why I said ultimately he is, he's not a threat to the establishment like a lot of people think. He's actually one of their best assets. I was just going to, I want to add two things throughout um, that very lovely um uh, a bit that you, you just gave us but um, the first one was what, what he was doing in Nicaragua well it's very clear that he was uh, doing wholesome big chungus war crimes so <laughs> that's one thing on the side but that's not what I want to say uh, about the Voice of America thing there's a very good um, Soviet documentary of all things I think it was made in 1984 called uh, The Target Is Your Brain it's a very, very good documentary. It's about an hour long, and it's on. It's translated. It's on YouTube. So if you just look it up, uh, target uh, target is your brain. You'll find it. And it does. It discusses the 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 like American propaganda network, and particularly how it targets, like for example, at the, at the time the Soviet Union, but other countries as well, uh, and how they try to 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 present themselves. This idea of you know uh, voice of freedom, voice of liberty, radio liberty, all this fucking bullshit like double speak uh, that they do with the naming conventions and whatnot. Just something interesting that I would recommend people to check out. Now, and I really suggest everyone check out the full article on Tucker Carlson, which will be yeah, of uh, inside of uh, one of the links, uh, which we will be sharing in the description of uh, the episode, wherever you might be listening or viewing from. Uh, but th- to me, I don't know about you guys, but that is like an insane story. And the fact that it actually happened and that this person went through the life that he did and ended up being one of the most influential uh, media personalities currently alive is is incredible. And uh, it's going to be kind of ironically sad that we might not be able to see any more uh, personalities of this, uh, like, let's call it... uh um, <laughs> eclectic life uh, anymore because as Alan said now you have social media and we cannot have uh, you know sons of uh, billionaire uh, uh, cool uh, creators uh, you know leading spy journalists leading, sp- spy journalists leading pretty much what the mainstream school of thought should be in uh, in our societies uh, but I'm pretty sure that uh their daddies will find new ways of uh, cleaning out uh, their pasts and uh, a new class of Tucker Carlson's will be born in one way or another in the future. Actually, what I'm expecting, to be perfectly honest, is, uh, you know, an approach similar to that of Obama in those pictures where he was smoking weed. People just saying, you know what, everybody has done something stupid when they were young Forgive them, allow them to have their career now that they're adults. Just, it's going to be funny hearing this from like uh, people that served with 
Nazi battalions or like uh, yeah. renowned terrorist <laughs> groups co-identifying it with the same people like oh man what like everybody in our youth did something fucked up you know you probably drove drunk you probably smoked too much weed oh you tried coke once he killed like seven Jews you know everybody you know does something <laughs> so small Christ. when you're young allow him to have a career so it's uh, yeah it's, it's, it's JT, an exciting you're, future you're telling me that- JT was telling me just the other day about all the, you know, uh, the the string of uh, trade union uh, leader assassinations he used to carry out when he was a, <laughs> a university student, all right, and in, in in Guatemala. I mean, these this is just you know, right? These um, by the way, is an obvious joke. <laughs> I guess on the other hand, sorry, JT. <laughs> even though we we we're not going to have that, we do at least have the this you meme where we can just. Uh, say this you to some guy on Twitter and like post yeah. what, what they were doing. <laughs> we wouldn't have that otherwise. So it's, you know, it's kind of like a balanced equation, I guess. Swings and rounds. That's a wash. <laughs> True. I, I accept that this you is very valuable. It is a great addition to uh, to the online war. Uh, but what what's like the real purpose uh, behind men uh, like Tucker? What do you think? Well, I quoted uh, media critic Carlos Maza in the piece. Uh, he said that ultimately the goal of Tucker's show isn't to challenge the elite, it's to make sure you never realize who they are. So the point he was saying is that Tucker always kind of like directs his guests to be angry at vegans, at the NFL, at, you know, liberal commentators or something, but never about the people who are actually in charge, like the sort of people who own Fox News, like Rupert Murdoch. Or the sort of corporations that pay his salary, like, you know, big, um, you know, Wall Street or big pharma or big ag or corporate America in general. It's always to try and, you know, it's kind of like a safety valve. It's like releasing public anger, which is very real, but directing it towards channels that, um, you know, ultimately go nowhere and, you know, funneling people into this, you know, crazy culture war nonsense, all while sounding radical, but uh, offering absolutely no change. Beautifully put. I guess we've always had our uh, clowns, which uh, necessitated a kind of shift in perspective from whatever is actually meaningful towards uh, something that is uh, kind of a cloud put in front of our eyes so that we forget about the first thing. But nowadays it's uh, kind of turned into this uh, sphere where if at any point you do not uh, follow through on the mainstream school of thought that's being sold to you, at least in the beginning until it becomes cool to to criticize it, you are uh, massively ostracized. And they found a way to even uh, like incorporate the other group, which even in the beginning of whatever mainstream school of thought is trying to be pitched to us are being skeptical towards it. There's journalists and there's media pieces and there's, uh, you know, uh, media conglomerates that are going to be able to utilize that audience as, as well and uh, push it into something else as you've seen and that's pretty much like 80 percent of everything like uh, everything we've seen about uh, covid scares specifically vaccine conspiracies uh, with uh, direction being pushed into the usual uh, delinquents you know the uh, social problems instead of economic ones there, there just seems to be a uh, gun at, at every front directed at anyone who wants to uh, actually consider class analysis of uh, of whatever problem has arisen and in my opinion I don't know about you guys it's kind of become 
additionally difficult to sell anyone on uh, on class consciousness when there's so many more enemies and they're so much more interesting than uh, ah, it's just your boss. Ah, it's the guy that owns your company. Ah, it's the guy that owns your industry. I mean, there's this black motherfucker who is kneeling to the anthem. That piece of shit. Like that's so much more like, ah, that piece of shit. That, ah, my boss, my boss is sometimes even a nice guy. You know, he brings donuts. The pizza party. The pizza party, Mandatory fun, bruv, you know? It's, 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 <laughs> they are inserting chips into your into your skin to control you and uh, send they're you coming to for your foreskin exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say you know that's the thing about marxism is that it's or at least just being being class conscious and and being uh, at least semi-educating these things is that the answers are always usually very nuanced uh complicated and very boring that's why there's none of the fucking you know the the oomph the fucking uh, yeah the, the, this this stuff that stirs you the, the emotional aspect of it the, the you know oh it's the this enemy that has had you had you under the thumb for you know generations because you're i don't know right you buzz your hair instead of fucking i don't fucking i don't know right but some stupid like superficial thing um and it's 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 really annoying and um you made a very nice point also that I would like to counter counter point with fuck I can't speak English you know what I'm trying to say um, but you got Nick you had a tweet the other day um, that I found that actually oh uh, no somebody's going to reference my Twitter account oh no <laughs> 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 I was mentioning about, about Yugopniks, and he mentioned about uh, how, like, when we return to a multipolar wor- world, right, how in the end the result will actually help socialism in the long term um, because there will be too many inter-imperialist squabbles, right? And then some people had these um, counterpoints mentioning, oh, yeah, but that means that the local, you know, working classes will be uh, put against each other um, over nationalistic nonsense and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And my counter-argument to that is, number one, that's already happening right now. And number two, that's the job of us as as, as socialists, right? That's our job but to, to, to educate people and to um, make them realize that, hey, no war but class war and that the working classes have common interests and they're diametrically opposed to the interests of the ruling class, the capitalist class. Um, but... Yeah, I just wanted to, to, to throw that into the fucking conversation. Um, Pee-pee-poo-poo, I don't know what else to say. Absolutely. <laughs> I guess some people, uh, I know a lot of people, especially in the global south, would think, yeah, it would be really good if we had a multipolar world because, you know, in the late, or in the mid to the late 20th century, we kind of had that and uh, countries like yeah. uh, in the Middle East or in Africa or Latin America could kind of play the Soviet Union off against the United States. And because of the mere existence of the Soviet Union, it gave uh, them a little bit more breathing space in terms of like what sort of deals they could sign. And then the immediate effect of what happened uh, with the fall of the USSR was that the IMF and the World Bank just reigned supreme and they just like brought the hammer down on absolutely everything in the global south. Actually, with with military aggression too, uh, I mentioned this, I think, previously in the podcast as well, but um, the United States uh, actually asked the Soviet Union in its waning days um, for permission to go to war with Iraq during the Gulf War, uh, the first Gulf War uh, in the early 90s. They they went and, and it was Gorbachev specifically who gave the okay that piece of fucking shit. <laughs> like if you didn't hate him enough, right? First pizza uh, hut yeah, and so now this. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that, that's exactly it. So um, 
the 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 mentioning like oh people in global south hey right here me <laughs> um i also i i def I, I definitely agree with that yeah because then at the end of the day it will at least on some level uh restrict the imperial ambitions of whichever side it doesn't matter because then they can be played off of each other as, as you mentioned sorry I cut you off on the other hand though i was going to say that you know uh fights between two big capitalist powers can get very very dangerous and we've seen the threat of nuclear war globally uh, rise exponentially in the last few weeks so yeah i mean ultimately if uh i'm not really sure if you know having a multipolar world is actually going to be a benefit or not the answer is to change the uh economic mm. system rather than you know have you know, two or three of these guys around that's that would be my opinion we're one ratio away from nuclear war guys please <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't wait. You know it's going to happen. There's going to be a war started because one Twitter official Twitter account of some country tweeted some shit. And, uh, oh, yeah. Whatever. Now, the, the, the point with the <laughs> multipolar world, I agree both with the criticism and with, uh, uh, with the agreements. Uh, I agree with the agreements. Very English. Very good today. I, I knew I should have been drinking. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Uh, uh, but uh, I guess I'm very subjective in this circumstance because my country, the one I up until to this day identify with, Yugoslavia, literally ceased to exist because a multipolar world stopped existing. Uh, it was of no use to anyone at that point, And that's when all the reactionary forces inside of it were encouraged to basically massacre each other like dogs uh so yes uh, you know take what i'm saying with uh with a grain of uh, subjective salt uh but uh, i still uh, stand with the opinion that in the long run it will give much more space to not only a fleeting but in my opinion an almost non-existing uh socialist movement at least in the west uh, when there's ac an actual choice of allies to be to be uh, uh approached uh, but of course at the risk of uh, the imperialist dogs just uh, turning us all into popsicles in the process uh but to not depress our dear listeners too much with uh, the impending uh, doom well, we should remind them that the, the sweet embrace of death can be quite soothing and well, I'm kidding no <laughs> then, uh, uh, didn't expect me to go in that direction huh? but uh, to kind of to kind of uh, start moving towards the conclusion of this at least in my opinion extremely informative episode um uh, let's move into a more uh kind of uh edgy conversation if i want to call it that uh there seems to be a like i don't know sense of awe and shock in most modern discourse you know ever since the trump administration got elected apparently we're at war with this i don't know new breed of misinformation aptly titled fake news you know that's always seemed incredibly naive to me no state apparatus has ever really existed without the full force of a massive propaganda machine behind it so are we wrong in making that claim? Like, did we really go downwards since we started calling frogs gay? Or has, or <laughs> has there always been a guy calling frogs gay? Uh, just in a nicer suit and from a, you know, more respectable news outlet. Yeah, I guess where fake news is basically a new term for a very, very old concept. And really, just talking about America more generally, fake news is as American as apple pie 
you know, if if you don't know, the very first piece of news to ever come back to Europe from America was fake news. It was actually Columbus's uh, note to the King of Spain saying that he had he had reached uh, Asia and that the place he'd found was absolutely full of gold and that there were very few natives, but they would make really good slaves otherwise. And all of that was completely yeah, yeah. Fal- uh, false. He was, he'd actually reached the Caribbean. There wasn't any gold at all. And uh, <laughs> there was actually a lot of natives and they did not want to be his slaves. So, you know, it begins from there. And, you know, even the first newspaper in the United States, most people don't even know this. It was called Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. That was actually shut down after its first issue, after just two days, by the government for fake news, or what they called in 1690, <laughs> sundry doubtful and uncertain reporting. Um, this all comes from a, a really good professor, <laughs> Nolan Higdon. He wrote a book called The Anatomy of Fake News, and he talks about how all the founding fathers were totally Trumpian in their love of pushing false information. You know, for instance, uh, Jefferson planted fake news about his opponent, John Adams, in the 1796 election, talking about how uh, Adams' actions provoked France into war. Uh, That was considered so detrimental at the time that when Adams actually won the election, he immediately passed the Sedition Act as president and then jailed all of uh, Jefferson's media colleagues who'd uh, pushed this fake news. And they only got out when Jefferson became president a few years later, that he was, and they pardoned him. Uh, people like Ben Franklin as well, he was a notorious peddler of fake news, some really, really horrible stuff actually, about how Native Americans were committing atrocities against white people. And he explains that he was explicitly doing this to justify a genocide that he'd been planning for ages against them, and then they did carry Classic. it out. Yeah. And then you go into the 19th century, and it's the same, you know, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, you know, one of America's most beloved uh, writers, he got his start writing lurid and false stories for what was called back then the Penny Press. You know, uh, President Polk planted fake news about the U.S. being attacked by Mexico to get them into the war in 1845, which uh, the U.S. took over half of Mexico and still controls it to this day. Uh, And, you know, using fake news to justify American wars is a time-honoured tradition, you know. If you go back to 1898, for instance, William Randolph Hearst, one of the first press barons, sent his photographers down to Cuba and said... um, you, he said, basically, you uh, fabricate the, the photographs and I'll fabricate the stories. And then, yeah, ultimately, uh, that's what happened. The U.S. got involved in the uh, Cuban War of Independence and made sure it was uh, never free until 1959. And then we go into, you know, World War One. The U.S. used atrocity propaganda to convince a really pacifist population into getting into the war. President Wilson, of course, ran on the slogan, Uh, peace without victory and he turned that into victory without peace in just a few months and of course you know Hakim will know this uh, better than I do you know uh, you know in the 1980s and 1990s there was all sorts of fake news about Saddam Hussein which justified the Gulf War I'm thinking specifically about the Nariya testimony when uh, this girl claiming to be an Iraqi nurse said that Saddam Hussein Kuwaiti Kuwaiti no she claimed that she was oh did she claim she was uh, Kuwaiti yeah, she claimed ah, she was okay. a Kuwaiti nurse. I thought she claimed that she area. was an Iraqi nurse, but the point was that she uh, she said she was a nurse and that uh, Saddam Hussein's tr- tr- uh, soldiers were pulling um, babies out of incubators and like stabbing them, and yeah. she'd seen this. Nobody questioned why she had an incredibly good 
uh, American accent and spoke English flawlessly if she was this working class Kuwaiti girl. Turned out she was actually the ambassador, uh, the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter. But that didn't matter. You know, the US got involved in, on the base of this. And, you know, now Iraq is what it is today. And I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that, like, the most pernicious sorts of fake news are tend to be uh, perpetrated by people with power and uh, organizations that have the power to actually disseminate this. Fake news goes way beyond a f bunch of Macedonian teenagers writing stupid articles on Facebook that get picked up and they make a few thousand euros that, that way and, you know, become rich. The most uh, pernicious and deadly sorts of fake news of the 21st century would be things like the Iraqi WMD hoax in 2003, which created a million deaths and destroyed tens of millions of homes across the entire region. But now we've got the point where, like, since Trump, we've got this point where uh, all of these outlets that um, pushed all of these hoaxes are actually presenting themselves as the defenders of truth and the people who will sort, you know, fiction from fact for us. So we've got, you know, companies like the New York Times or Reuters or PolitiFact turning up and going, actually, this isn't true and you can trust us, etc. But it's a case of, like, the foxes offering to guard the hen house because these are the people who are actually, like, forcing their views upon us and have been uh, responsible for most of the worst fake news that has uh, happened in living memory. And you guys as YouTubers will know the effect of that. What that's basically meant is that the state has retightened its grip over the means of communication. It's um, They've forced Google and Facebook and all the other big uh, tech uh, platforms to change their algorithms to promote uh, official content and um, demote, delist, or declassify uh, what they call borderline content, which basically means any sort of like left-wing analysis of capitalism or anti-war stuff. So us at Mint Press, we pretty much overnight lost something like 90% of our Google traffic. It happened to places like The Intercept, Democracy Now!, Counterpunch, Truthout, Truthdig. Pretty much every alternative news website has suffered terribly since 2016 as uh, the government basically uh, yeah, retakes control of the internet, which was this incredible force in the 2000s, which led a lot of people to become radicalized and start questioning uh, official narratives, start questioning mainstream media and looking for alternative places to get it. But now if you go onto YouTube and type in whatever, you'll be um, bombarded with stuff from CNN and MSNBC and your favorite uh, leftist content creators will be on like page four. And so you guys have got such a difficult job actually building up your channels right now because you're being blitzed by this algorithm, which is uh, totally um, penalizing you at every step. It's incredible how the narrative around people actually starting the conversation about most of the information us get, we're getting being fake, that narrative, instead of being directed towards uh, the most powerful uh, kind of participants in uh, in media manipulation, which are the conglomerates, that was completely directed towards uh, small and independent media houses, which were actually trying to combat slash false, uh, said false narratives. Uh, and it was used to quite literally completely ransack and destroy them. So no matter how like good the direction or the intention of uh, any sort of uh, kind of uh, uh, anti-bad thing movement there is, the system itself will somehow organically sometimes and sometimes with very 
straight strategy and planning, uh, will manage to take that and direct it towards the enemies of uh, of the said status quo. And this, in my opinion, as you beautifully put, is a perfect example of that. Instead of looking at the fact that throughout history we've been fed lies and by questioning that and turning more towards independent media and towards more uh, quantity and quality of sources, uh, we, we've chosen to use that information and limit the number of uh, information sources we actually have. It's like somebody beating you and uh, uh, every day and you saying that uh, the thing you need to change in your life is you need to wear pads on your face so that when they're beating you, it doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you if you spread fake news in service of the powerful, you're not going to face any sort of uh, demotion. In fact, you're probably going to fail upwards. But if you spread like accurate information, which questions the government or capitalism or whatever, you're probably going to get demoted or penalized in some way. Yeah. Please, uh, the West and particularly the United States has a, a free and fair um, <laughs> a system of, of public discourse and a free press in which you'll find an almost complete unity <laughs> on the State Department <laughs> line that has coalesced purely by coincidental on coincidental grounds. This is the independent conclusion of all these differing journalists that it is exactly as the American government says. And any dissenting opinion, by the way, is uh, is just you know um, Russian bots or <laughs> whatever the fuck they're trying to say. Uh, you know, this is this is a stupid joke that I'm trying to basically say that yeah, it's it's um, exactly how Alan said. The any sort of uh, opinion that deviates uh, from the official party line, ooh, a term they fucking love to use uh, on us, by the way. Um, which, by the way, if they ever looked into like the minutes of, of Communist Party um, meetings, they'd realize that we f- we bicker amongst ourselves a lot. Okay, there is no fucking party line happens after democratic centralism. Before that shit is just complete chaos. Anyways, but my point being is that uh, the, the they they there is this. Uh, um, let's say, force behind the curtain uh, that tries to ensure a, a, a complete unity on what the uh, uh, official line on whatever enemy we have is. Uh, and if anybody deviates from this uh, by reporting or even like slightly d- dissenting opinion, then they're punished to different degrees, either by minimizing their um, uh, reach or, or, or their ability to, 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 to uh, project their message to an audience or through other ways, like in, for example, Assange's case, which is prison and sometimes can be even worse yeah and then in times of war or or crisis like we have now you'll see they have an excuse finally to just just outright shut down these outlets like if you go on twitter just how many accounts have been suspended how many news outlets anti-war news outlets have been kicked off the platform or kicked off of instagram Mm -hmm. or whatever platform they're operating on just because now Mm -hmm. there's a convenient excuse you know, it reminds me of something yeah, you were talking about the Soviet times. It, it reminds me of a story yeah. when um, I think it was in the 1950s, the United States uh, uh, invited all these Soviet officials over to look at how wonderful their free media system was. And, uh, you know, these uh, dignitaries were walking around all these newspapers and TV outlets. And after a, a couple of weeks, they came back and the US uh, people were expecting them to be just in awe of how wonderful it was. But <laughs> the guys, they weren't, um, they weren't being like critical or anything they were just uh, quite inquisitive and they said how is it that you've got all of these outlets but they all say exactly the same thing we'd really like to understand that <laughs> yeah. that was not the answer <laughs> they were expecting <laughs>
So speaking of uh, insanity and everything looking absolutely the same, uh, what are, in your experience, some of the most batshit insane takes you've seen over the years coming at us from quote-unquote reputable sources? Geez, there's so many ways to, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> there's so much to choose from. I guess, I guess like... Um... War is often one which uh, offers some of the most batshit insane takes. The Washington Post wrote uh, an op-ed entitled Drone Strikes Would Be Bad, But No Drone Strikes Would Be Worse. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, not to be outdone, the New York Times went with Drones for Human Rights, in which it said, you know, why don't we give human rights organizations the opportunity to spy on all our enemies with, like, just flying drones all over the place? Liberalism.png. Bomb me, the kids will help them, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and now the waging of peace that George Bush won? Oh, my God. Do you remember... What was that? The foreign foreign policy cover? I don't remember. There was a... a, a, I don't remember if it was Time or or, uh, Foreign Policy, but some magazine, and there was a cover, and it was uh, the one, like, contrasting how the Russian and Ukrainian things are going on, and the Afghanistan uh, war recently, and the Afghanistan war cover was, like, a heartbreaking but necessary war, (laughs) and had a picture of two Afghani kids playing. Meanwhile, the Ukrainian one uh, was, like, a picture of the Ukrainian flag, but it's bleeding, and uh, I don't remember what the text was, but I'm just, (laughs) like, yeah, liberalism.png. Sorry that you, you guys go on. Alan, did you have yeah, more I've examples? Yeah, I've got more. I mean, I guess, um, Fuck yeah. I guess go, libertarians, go, go, go. God bless them, often put their foot in it and say the <laughs> quiet part out loud as well. Megan McArdle is a great example of that. You know, just uh, a couple of weeks after Heather Hare's murder at the Unite the Right uh, rally. Was that it? Charlottesville? No. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, she wrote an article called We Didn't Normalize Trump, We've Normalized the Left's Violence, which I thought was just... Um, <laughs> But um, I'll drop something in the chat. You can have a look at it. Um, There's also a Libertarian's uh, article. It was in the Grand Forks. uh, It was in the Grand Forks Herald. And it's called In the Breastfeeding Debate, Where Are the Property Rights? And I I think the editor, I think the editor must have done this on purpose because the article is uh, illustrated not by like just a generic picture of a, somebody breastfeeding or something it's actually a picture of the guy who wrote it and it is absolutely (laughs) perfect it looks exactly as if you know just imagine the sort of person who would write that article yeah and that is indeed (laughs) that person oh Oh my god like for the listeners it is it is the most neckbeard looking motherfucker of all time with those uh, expensive-looking but actually cheap glasses and this, I'm hiding the fact that I am balding and I'm hunt- hiding my uh, double chin at the same time while talking about <laughs> in the breastfeeding debate, where are the property rights? Sorry, that made me react. Like, when Alan said he's going to look like exactly the guy you think would write this... <laughs> Like, really guys, does. you have no idea. Like, you have no idea. <laughs> oh. I would suggest doing that as, like, the Thank artwork for... for this episode, but I don't want people thinking that's what I look like. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. You're super not handsome. Not at all. <laughs> Al- Alan is an absolute Chad, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, he is the, the epitome of... Is it epitome? Fuck, Americans yes, correct me right. so many times on this. Yeah. Half of Americans will say of... epitome, though. <laughs> all right, yeah. See, epi- epitome? Fuck, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I was gonna say he's the he's the epitome of Scottish chadness. All right, I can feel I, I can feel the um, my urge to resist the British, uh, in, 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 just just in his in his mere presence. <laughs> but yes, uh, continue continue with a few more. Do you have a few more? Yeah, well, a couple more. Yeah, um, <laughs> one of the favorite things, one of my favorite things, is when uh, big media personalities just absolutely. Uh, melt down online and just like go mad and everybody sees how completely stupid and batshit crazy they are do you remember uh the brett stevens who's a new york times columnist do you remember his bed bug uh meltdown on twitter uh-uh. mm-hmm. remind us remind <laughs> so like um there was a story that uh, the new york times office was actually infested with insects and bed bugs and everyone was laughing at it and then a college professor in like washington dc wrote Oh, haha, the infestation is Brett Stevens. And it got like nine <laughs> likes. He's got like a hundred followers. Nobody cares who he is. And he got like nine likes. And Brett Stevens just went ballistic about this. He must have been name checking because he wasn't, um, he must have been searching his own name, which is absolutely the sign added, of a sociopath. Right? Yeah, no added, nothing like that. <laughs> oh my God. So he then sends uh, him an email and then CCs in the like the dean of the university he works at. And it's <laughs> oh like, what did God. you mean by this? I invite you to take this back, etc. And then uh, instead of taking it back, the guy posted it on Twitter and it got like a trillion views. And everybody started laughing <laughs> at Brett Stevens for like a week about this. But instead of backing down, Stevens actually wrote an article about, you know, all of this and about how this was actually intolerant anti-Semitism and uh, how this is, uh, you know, he was comparing this Jewish person to a bed bug and how this is a common trope. And then he like, he like, as part of his evidence, he found like this old uh, book from the 1940s, which said it just mentioned bed bugs in the same sent uh, in the same like page as mm. jewish people but it was they were literally talking about the conditions of like the ghetto in warsaw or something about how it was infested with bugs or something and that was his best uh way of showing that this guy was anti-semitic so people dunked on him again mm. and then he wrote this uh, this next new york times article <laughs> ratio he's you know he's like this uh you know perilous voice of truth under fire for you know speaking his mind Mm. but like the guy has been for his entire life just been an absolute rabid racist himself he wrote famously he wrote an article called like um it was about how ashkenazi jews are like genetically superior it was called the secrets of jewish Mm -hmm. genius and it was some real head caliper shit and i don't know why (laughs) the new york times like uh, published it but he did he also absolutely i mean if there's one thing he loves more than like uh you know writing absolutely crappy conservative tropes in the new york times it's dunking and you know saying that arabs are subhuman he's got all sorts of articles from the time at the Wall Street Journal when he talks about and the, the disease, the right? disease yes, of the Arab Pulitzer. mind and stuff like that. And he oh, defended yeah, Tucker yeah. Carlson's uh, characterization of Iraqis as semi-literate monkeys. So he just does mm. this all the time. And he was just so intensely online that everybody was mocking him and laughing him at him that he eventually just deleted his Twitter account. So it was, a, it was a, <laughs> overall, it was a win. A ratio to death. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Joanne Reed had a melt, similar meltdown when, um, you know, if people don't know, she's an MSNBC anchor who's like super ultra woke. And most people remember <laughs> her for bringing on this um, body language expert onto MSNBC to tell everybody how Bernie Sanders is actually a sexist and oh, probably, yeah. you know. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. 
Well, anyway, go, people, go, go, go. Tell our audience. Yeah, that. people please, found please. her old blog, which she basically outed homosexual people in Hollywood and like named them as being gay or gay for pay. And uh, instead of yeah. like apologizing for this, and that would have probably been the matter over. She was a big star on MSNBC. They wouldn't have canned her for that. Instead of, you know, uh, writing some notes app apology where she's like, these were my views, but, you know, it just shows how much I've changed, etc. And now I'm an ally. Instead, she actually insisted and hired some sort of private security team to try and show that <laughs> Russian hackers had hacked into her blog and inserted these articles from like <laughs> oh 2003 God. and 2004, where she's you know, doing all this homophobic stuff. And people just sort of accepted it. It was insane. It's the Russians, I mean, it's immediately accepted. Look, hey, hey, it's it's the Russians that, you know, like, go to your wife and be like, look, I know I was, you caught me sleeping with hookers, but it was the Russians who, they contacted them, they paid <laughs> yeah. them, they extracted the semen from me in my sleep. <laughs> she literally did oh, the shaggy man. defense of saying it wasn't me, and it seems to have worked somehow that people just accepted it and moved on. Well, we're going to enter another phase of that. You can just pin anything on Russian hackers these days. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. If you accidentally call someone a cockroach, they will find a way to turn it into anti-Semitic. But say that a Russian has uh, seven heads and 15 computers uh, sponsored by oligarchs, (laughs) which are putting all the child porn on your computer that your wife just found. (laughs) That's absolutely fine. It's absolutely acceptable. It's, yeah, you know, uh, this makes me. There's this. There's a screenshot of some like Facebook thread, you know, and it's like the first message is like, I don't know why all these women are shaving half their heads. I don't think it's attractive. And it's like a thread of like a hundred um, messages, and it's shortened. And the very last message shows, and it's, and it's just uh, uh, the text is, and if you read any fucking le- uh, Lenin, you'd understand. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> the conversations remind me of this, where it's like, oh, you know, you say something relatively benign, and then like it's a hundred messages, and it's like. Oh, but the fucking Russian hackers, the bots. <laughs> Absolute art, art. And the greatest thing about this is that, like, these are the people with, like, Pulitzers. These are, like, the people that yeah. uh, maintain and change minds and uh, direct policy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's uh, uh, yeah, the true, the voices of reason and freedom, uh, you know, the uh, bulwark fucking defenders of, of uh, you know, in the free world. Oh, Jesus Christ. I love how there's a, the, the, it, it abounds with this ideological rhetoric in, in, in the West, but they don't understand that they're the most propagandized popula- populations yeah. on Earth. It's, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, seriously. Like, the media kind of works. It's You're conditioned and selected for your obedience to power. And so ultimately, the people at the top are the ones who are the most sadistic, empty-brained idiots who are just willing to say anything to please their bosses. And so we've got this kind of, like, a confederacy of dunces at the top with these people who have no idea what they're doing but just spam out whatever they're told and, like, whatever nonsense there are, even if it completely contradicts what they wrote last year or whatever. They've got no opinions of their own and they just serve power, basically. So people wanting to get into journalism, you better know that that's how it works and there's a serious, like, totalitarian hierarchy going on there. A really good book uh, on this is uh, Parenti's um, Inventing Realities, which has preceded uh, uh, Chomsky's uh, Manufactured Consent, I think, by two years or so, uh, and is a far superior book. Um, so do check it out. But also you can read Manufacturing Consent and, of course, the two lovely works by our esteemed guest, um, which, by the way, I, I remember I read a few excerpts from your first book. I still haven't managed to get uh, to reading the entirety of it. And the second one I haven't uh, gotten e- uh, just yet either. It's been on my list forever. But... Uh, 
the from the few excerpts that I have read, it is very, very good. So um, plug, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't buy them though. Download them from illegal Russian websites because uh, academic pub- <laughs> academic publishing is a total scam. <laughs> hey, you heard it here first. Libgen is your friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, to finish off, thank you so much, Alan, for coming on. I think it. I, I will take it on myself to speak in uh, JT's and Hakim's name that we would really like to have you on in the future as well. We really need someone yes. on this podcast who actually knows uh, what they're talking about instead of uh, Hakim <laughs> telling people they should be healthier, me telling them they should be alcoholics, <laughs> and JT being a all-round decent human being. Uh, so, Alan, please uh, do tell our viewers where they can find you, where they can find your work etc etc yeah sure so you can find me at mintpressnews.com that's where i write and i'm the podcast producer there uh you can find me at twitter at alan r mcleod that's uh, alan with one l and you spell mcleod m-a-c-l-e-o-d i do have an instagram account as well if you're on there alan.r.mcleod perfect thank you so much uh you will also find links and uh Uh, spellings in the description of uh, the podcast wherever you might be listening uh, to it Uh, thank you so much for listening this has been the the program i'm yugopnik i'm hakim i'm jt and i'm i'll just say that uh, (laughs) because yeah i'll stitch it together (laughs)